back. Andrew Sill here for the Flat Out RC podcast, episode nine. Thanks for joining me once again for another week. Hope you enjoyed last week's episode, and this week's going to be another big one with special guest Hamish Scott, the Australian RC helicopter guru. So a lot to talk about, but let's get into the news. Well, the reports are in. The flying fields are busy once again. Uh, the corona res- restrictions or de-restrictions are in place as we speak. Uh, and I know that uh, I think coming up in the following weekend, we'll be allowed to have more people at the club at one point in time. So the limits will be increasing from 10 till 20 people. So that is very good news for us out there in Hobbyland that if you want to get your fix you're probably going to be able to do it. Not many clubs really get more than 20 people at a time, unless you're one of the one of the bigger, bigger kind of clubs. Um, Gavin Sexton's trying to ring me. A lot of you might have heard of Gavin Sexton. He's trying to ring me in the middle of this. I'll ring you back, Gavin. Anyway, you'll probably know that I've mentioned your name in the podcast now before this podcast goes to air. So I'll talk to you shortly. But uh, the um, yeah, we're back flying, which is good. I still haven't had an opportunity to get out myself. I've been all over the place. As I said last week, winter's not a great time for flying for me. I normally have at least two month break between flights due to weather, and uh, you know I'm an avid skier, so I go skiing a fair bit, and a few other hobbies that I do that are more suitable for winter activities than uh, model flying. But uh, down here in Victoria, it is getting cold. But we've had some really beautiful flying days, especially during the week. When many of us are still working so if you've been fortunate enough to get out there just do it get out there and get some more stick time it's nothing like getting some stick time it's the only way to improve really it sounds obvious doesn't it but often people are thinking about um gavin's trying to ring me again i'll ring you back gavin uh often you'll um you know think that there might be some trick to getting better but it's nothing beats just getting out there and uh having a fly behind the sticks uh but I will talk about something later about what I did get out and do today um, that was radio control oriented, which is good. But let's get into some new products. Uh, you know, new products, as I've been saying, are few and far between at the moment. But the team at Phoenix Model have come out with a whole bunch of new planes, and there's one that I want to talk about, and that is a jet, a BAE Hawk jet. So considered to be a sport jet. Oh, many of you know it. When I, when I mentioned the BAE Hawk, you know what it uh, sort of roughly looks like. But the, the guys at Phoenix models are sort of, it looks like it's their first foray into a turbine model. Uh, it's 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 a sport jet. Um, I consider it to be like a 30cc size, be equivalent to, you know, a gasser. Uh, it's, it's a full bowl supply uh, model. You know, we see a lot of jets that are uh, composite. Composites actually can be quite heavy, especially the wings. I was working on my Skymaster Viper jet, and I picked the wings up the other day, and I thought, gee, these are pretty damn heavy, especially with retracts and that kind of thing. So a balsa wing actually can make a lot of sense and make the fly, make the plane roll better. Uh, so this plane, wingspan of um, 72 inches, so 1,830 mils, length of 70 inches, 1,765 mils, with a flying weight between sort of 9.8 to 10 kilos is what is estimated. So it's... It, it looks to be quite a decent little layout. I, I like, especially for people who are just getting into jets, I really like jets that have a decent wing on them. You know, something that, that 
will give you sort of traditional flying characteristics you know, and a good sort of flight envelope. Nothing that means you're going to have to slam into the strip at high speed or else it's going to stall. And this plane looks like that. Uh, got, it comes with electric uh, retracts, which is good. Uh, included with the controller box included. Now servos, two aileron, two flap. There's four on the wings, two elevator, one rudder. No steering wheel. So what's that? Four, five, six, seven, eight servos in total. Now turbine, they're recommending... Uh, 8 to 10 kilo turbo turbine so we're talking about 80 to 100 newton uh, size which probably be perfect I'll probably go the 100 because uh, that weight 10 kilos look that fly great on both really uh, not too much of an issue I reckon uh, what else does it come with electric retracts so we mentioned that um, got fuel tank jet fuel tank tailpipe you need the tailpipe with the turbine doesn't say with double wall single wall or what it is but uh it comes with it all ball linkages well done love ball links if you want the ultimate in uh, control service hookup gotta go ball links um, so we'll see whether the quality is any good because there are ball links and there are ball links if you know what i mean full depth cockpit instrument panel that's one thing i've noticed that, that manufacturers are doing now is they're really putting a lot more detail into the um the, the, the cockpit area with pilots and and trying to give you some basic cockpit details uh, so that's pretty good. Two-piece wing, of course. Strong, lightweight construction. Removable top hatch canopy, of course. Need that. Let's see what's going on inside. Superb flying characteristics, so you say. Plus an accurate scale outline. Look, I've, I've always been complimentary of Phoenix Models when it comes to their scale aircraft. They, they really try their best and do, a, do a, a decent job at it as well. I've seen some beautiful Phoenix Model kits. And it looks like this has continued. They've given you all the color charts on their website. It's not a bad model. And see, this is what I like about the Phoenix model planes. You can get into a Phoenix model jet, probably cheaper than any other jet that's out there on the market. Uh, model flight um, will have them on sale for about 1,100 Aussie dollars. Uh, and that for a jet is not that bad. Plus including the retracts, retracts aren't cheap. It's probably $250 worth, at a minimum, $250 worth of uh, retracts in that plane. I reckon up to even $350, $400 bucks worth of retracts sitting in that plane. So it starts to add up. It's not too bad. Phoenix model BAE Hawk turbine jet. Uh, I think they're coming soon into uh, Model Flight's warehouse. They did announce them in a, a video a few weeks ago, I think. They may have sold out, but anyway, they're out of stock. But uh, keep an eye out. Other other stores may have them around the country. That Phoenix model BAE Hawk. I'm not getting paid to, to mention them. Just saw that they were new and wanted to tell you about it. So if you're in the market for a, like a, a beginner kind of jet, then take a look. BAE Hawk. It's, it's not. It's quite a pretty plane. Often, you know, when you see trainer planes, they're ugly as anything. Uh, but uh, I don't know why they can't build a nice looking trainer plane. Something that you'd be proud to keep beyond your training days. But this jet. Looks pretty good, so hope to see one flying out there shortly. Now here at the uh, Flat Out RC Podcast, I try to mix up the guests. Uh, we don't have all aerobatic guys, you know, we don't have all glider guys, we don't have all scale guys. We just mix it up because variety is the spice of life, as they say. And this week, I've been looking for someone to join me on the podcast to talk about RC helis and managed to get... Hamish Scott. Now, Hamish uh, is living over in WA, but originally from South Australia, comes from a, uh, a family of aero modelers. 
And Hamish has been one of the the gun RC heli pilots for for many years now. You know, he's I think he's twenty six years of age or something like that. I asked him in the interview, uh, but he's a really really good pilot, uh, sponsored pilot that uh, goes internationally and and uh, competes and demonstrates. Uh, you know, there's demo flights at events and things like that. So he's really really good and he's a great bloke to boot. And helis is something that I actually got back into the hobby by helis and I really do like helis. I love the mechanical nature of a heli. Um, I've got a, I've got a few in my hangar. Must say they haven't been flown for a while because I've been busy with other things, but um, I do love a heli. And the heli scene has been a little bit of a slump over the past few years from its sort of heady days, maybe six, seven years ago. But it, it will come back. These things, anybody who's been in the hobby for a long time knows that things come back. All it takes is just a group of motivated people to get out there and uh, and showcase it. And next minute, people are getting back into heli. So that, uh Really glad to have Hamish join me. Now, I have to make an apology. You might hear some interference in the interview. When I was uh, conducting the interview with Hamish, I said to him, I can hear like two-way radio interference, like someone having a conversation. And I thought it was just in the headphones, but it came through onto the recording. And I think one of my leads was picking up, acting as an aerial or something, and was going straight through the recording device. But I've tried to get rid of it as much as possible. There are some sections where it will be noticeably uh, audible. So I apologize for that. We did contemplate re-recording it, but I didn't want to hassle Hamish to take up more of his time. So I'm sure you'll understand and uh, you'll uh, be able to ignore it. So anyway, apologize for that. But over to my chat with Hamish Scott. Hamish Scott, the helicopter guru, is joining me all the way from Western Australia, Perth to be precise. Hamish, thanks for joining me. All right, thanks for having me on. Now, there's always a very simple question to ease into this podcast. And the first question is, how did you get into aero modeling? Aero modeling. So um, I started off obviously not um, purely helis. Um, as a young kid, um, watching my grandfather and my dad fly, went with all their friends. Um, I think it was about five or six where I got a, I believe it was a GWS Pipe Cub. And threw that around. Pretty early on with a bit of buddy box and sort of picked that up by myself and I think that went on for a year or so until I got a bit bored with that. School started and sort of got distracted. A few years later, obviously my dad had still been flying through these times and uh, I used to build a lot of like truck gliders and go to a lot of indoor events and this was right at the time when the Icarus truck flyers were coming out. Yeah. And back then, there were a couple of grand to, to build one of them, so I could never afford one. But I remember seeing a lot of the guys in Adelaide fly them and thought that is the coolest thing I've ever seen. And pretty much begged and uh, complained a lot until I could get one. And obviously, that was never going to happen. So we ended up, uh, my dad and his friend built me an aircraft of very similar uh, construction, I guess, expecting it to get broken pretty quickly. Um, that I would reset and go back to basics. But in that time, obviously, hanging around hobby shops and been exposed to it my whole life, I suddenly really just picked it up and started flying it. And that was pretty much the, the real kickstart in, in, in aero modeling as far as the type of was obviously very quick and I flew it and it was great. I was a kid, it was great. But I think this is sort of like the 9, 10, 11, when it all started making more sense. And I pretty much lived and breathed. Uh, building shop flyers as a kid. Really? Yeah, my whole school holidays, I would get sort of like two or three sheets of foam and 
that'd be my school holidays. I would build planes and go to lots of indoor events and obviously had the skills from building truck gliders and that sort of converted into like the indoor stuff, which only just recently I built probably the most craziest indoor plane I've ever built, which was more so just to throw little projects to have me back to what I used to do, you know? So yeah, that's I guess, yeah, just... It's it's funny because your your family's got a long history in in um in the hobby, and to get into that sort of shock flyer kind of thing, it's it's not the traditional path really, but it's it's amazing yeah, you, that you did that, especially in Australia because that indoor scene isn't massive. But you know, for anyone out there that hasn't tried indoor flying, you've got to give it a go. It's so much fun. It just adds another another dimension to to model flying. So you've been you so you're making these shock flies. You're still flying these shock flies, and you still have this pipe of cub at this stage. Uh, it would have been there, but I don't know if I was flying. Yeah. I, mean, I was sort of just distracted with the whole 3D. And at the time, this is obviously when TOC and even at that time, TOC was, ETOC, sorry, was getting yeah. big. So I pretty much lived and breathed all that, like the Kiki Summonzinis and Mike McConville and uh, Bill Hempel's videos. And that was kind of the era of the 3D that I grew up watching. And yeah, I just sort of took off from... Basically, if it could go upside down or really fast, then that's what I wanted to do, which is quite a different direction, I guess, to what um, was exposed to me generally, or I guess within the family, more so just my dad being large into um, scale gliders as well. Obviously, did aerobatics, but I was going on quite a different route, <laughs> you could say, I guess. I always say that uh, young guys are either interested in... Uh... They want they want the action into the market, really. You know, oh, most sure. of the younger younger guys and girls out there want to fly aerobatics, or you know, in the helis and and even the drone thing now, the racing drone thing as well. So I think they're looking for excitement. So it sort of makes sense, really. You know, I always yeah, say I know. The, a Piper Cub's a perfect plane for you know an elderly gentleman because you can just fly them around like an elderly gentleman. But you know, sometimes you need a bit more more excitement. That's where uh, the aerobatics comes in, I suppose. Yeah, that's it. I was actually, uh, I think my, my dad posted a photo of me as a kid with the Piper Cub and I sort of jokingly said to him, if he can find me another one, I'll build it. So yeah. someone out there with with one, get in contact because I'd love to build one again because it would be quite cool. Yeah, so you, so you started going down that aerobatics route. Now, as I sort of mentioned, you are a helicopter, RC helicopter guru. When did that start to come into the scene? Uh, not too long after as far as interest with the whole shop fly thing. At the time, shortly after, I was getting pretty decent with the shock flyers. A lot of those, the guys that I was following with South Australia started flying uh, the GWS Dragonflies, which was a fixed pitch hmm. um, brushless, uh, sorry, brush helicopter. And uh, I mean, obviously, I see my dad not struggle, but had issues. And obviously, back then, helicopters weren't as easy as I shouldn't say easy, but back then, obviously, there was a lot of other issues like the helicopter didn't weren't always reliable just as an example so uh, I started watching them fly these little things at the indoor and then they started cutting them down and making them go higher and then I somehow ended up at an outdoor event and saw uh, someone I'm still quite close with doing aerobatics with a with a 3D helicopter and was a 90 size at the time that was pretty much it I was uh, I think probably this stage of 12 or 13 so, and uh, yeah, obviously once I saw a video of the, and, and saw the, in the flash a helicopter going upside down, much the same as the shot fire, I saw that and went, well, that's pretty much what I want to do. And um, probably it was a good, probably two years after that or a year after that, where I, I had dabbled in a couple other helicopters, of course. Um, 
secondhand stuff or stuff that people had, had given me to, to try that obviously got crashed in the first 30 seconds. So, hmm. but simulators were changing at that time. So, what, what era? That. What era are we talking about here? Oh, this would be, I guess, 12 years ago. Okay, so don't worry. So this is of... when definitely Flybard, Flybarless was pretty well non-existent. Uh, this is like Thunder Tiger Raptor 50, Raptor 90 days. Yeah, that was this popular. Is, uh, yeah, this is like when um, Curtis Youngblood, Todd Bennett, they were the go-to heli guys. And previous years they've come to Australia, but I'm not ever or not interested or not seen them. Yeah. So I guess with being around this, the whole thing, I just basically was always constantly exposed to it. And eventually, I think it was in the towards the end of uh, primary school or high school, potentially. I got my first T-Rex or 50, which I'd seen a lot. My father and a good friend of his at the time flying a lot and uh, having great success with. So that's what I ended up with. And that was my first proper helicopter, you could say, that was collective pitch, that was LiPo batteries at the time. And yeah, that's what I started with. And kind of just grew from there. I started hovering it pretty much by myself, a bit of training gear, and that came off. And then I started doing circuits or sort of like um, sort of figure eights in the veranda one day. And I remember this quite vividly. And I was <laughs> before school, because at the time I'd fly every morning and after school, because that's what I did, because I had nothing better to do. Mm. And uh, I was doing these like little figure eights in the, in the veranda, and I couldn't work out how to stop. So <laughs> it was getting quicker and quicker, and I couldn't work out how to stop. And um, yeah, until I obviously hit the veranda. <laughs> and I remember that, I remember that quite vividly as well. That'll stop you. Being a 14 year old kid going, I really don't know what happened there. And yeah, then it's when I started going outside the parks. And, and did yeah, you, just... were you, um, so in those early days of, of your, your heli career, were you on the simulator a bit as well? Or this is pre simulator oh, time? Yeah, this is like early, I'm not sure what revision, like whether it was like four or four five. Yeah. Really early on. And at this time, I spent a lot of time at hobby shops, which generally at that and even much still today, simulators were always set up. So we'd go to the shop to, I don't know, get some glue or whatever it was, or even just to talk. Or, mm. And I just made a beeline to the simulator. That's all I cared about. And that was my favorite thing about going to one of the hobby shops at the time is I could just go and sit on the sim and that could talk to all these mates and I could just sit on the sim. And that was, yeah, I spent a lot of time on the sim and I spent a lot of time flying every morning and every afternoon after school. And the parts were quite cheap. They were wooden blades. Fairly often you get away with not breaking too much, but yeah, it was at the time. It's yeah, it's all I did. It's and yeah, I mean it was a passion that I don't know if I'll ever not fly a helicopter. Back then, that was all I cared about, you know. So it's it's uh, interesting. It's it's there's a common thread amongst all all the all the um, people that I speak to that have become really accomplished pilots. They've all got that same story that they were obsessed with it and they flew as much as they could, especially at a young Absolutely. age. I really think that yeah. you're set for life now because you've laid down those foundations whilst you were young. For sure. And you have to put in the time. There's no, especially flying something like helis, and, and you know they aren't as easy as a fixed wing plane to fly, but they are extremely rewarding once you sort of get it. Uh, so definitely. So how old are you at this stage then? When you, when you could say that you're pretty comfortable on the sticks, not crazy, you know, doing overly crazy stuff, but what age were you when you sort of started becoming comfortable on the sticks with the heli? I'd say it was probably 14 or 15 thereabouts. Um, 
where I was pushing myself to a point where I thought that was all I was ever going to be able to do. Even then at that time, I was crashing a lot, but I'd sort of gotten to a point where the people I was flying with, or the state at least, where I was at the time, there was no one really to help me. It was, I got to a point where those guys helped me very early on. Once I could start doing aerobatics that was beyond them, I was kind of on my own. And then that's when we sort of started to, to travel a little bit. So that's what sort of started the traveling thing, just because the only way to get better with them. It, 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 uh, it doesn't matter if you're flying helicopters or F3A or even like racing cars. Being exposed to someone or people in that are better than you is always going to make you better, whether you they're not leave flying any better, but you take a lot of information away from that, that you will end up learning. So I always say that to even people now getting into it, you need to go to a fun fly, as daunting as it may seem. You will learn more at a, simu- at a fun fly over like two or three days than you will by going to the field for three months. Yeah, so I, I agree. What, what I you agree. gain from people and just talking to people and, yeah, I mean, I see it still day to day, going to events, People leave there either already progressing or shortly thereafter progressing very, very quickly. Um, and it even happens to me when I go, like last year when I traveled overseas, like I come back flying that little bit better and a little bit faster or whatever that may be. I don't think that ever really stopped. So, yeah, I think definitely that's going to those events. Yeah, I'm a, big, uh, I'm a big fan of events and I 100% agree with you that uh, I, I was thinking the other day about where did I learn about even just gear? You know, I'm into aerobatics and a lot of different things, but where do I learn about RC gear? And, and the biggest probably source is at the field talking to other people, yes, not necessarily sure. my everyday club because, you know, and often in clubs, you've got your core members that turn up to that club and they never look outside of that club. But it's Absolutely. going to... You know, a, a big like the Shepherd and Mammoth scale event where you see the best of the best, and you're talking to yeah. really good aero modelers. And I remember um, the heli scene over here in Melbourne was quite good back in the day. And yeah. um, at the Freestyle Flyers Club, they used to run a, a guy, the guys from Mark RC used to run that event. I can't forget the name of the event. You probably can remember it before I could. But they ran a, a heli oh. event um, down here a couple of times, I think, and it was big. It was just yeah. an awesome event to to just I went to uh, to watch, and um, and yeah, you just pick up from seeing other people and Absolutely. seeing how people fly as well. Now, speaking of your flying, I was actually watching a video of you today, and you're an absolute nut of gun. But there was something that I really liked about your flying, and I don't know if it was just a video that I was watching. Sometimes people can complain that three D heli flying is a bit like a wasp zooming around in the sky, and. Yeah. Uh, I look at that kind of flying going, that is just amazing because it's so hard to do and I can appreciate you know, how, how skilled you need to be to do that. But your flying was, uh, the, well, the video at least that I watched, and I can't remember which one it was and what era when it was, but you were extremely precise and it was almost your flying was not, I don't want to use the word calculate as if it was totally planned out exactly what you were going to do, but the precision was there and it wasn't manic. You didn't seem to be like this manic flyer. You're in total control. Now, when you're flying uh, 3D helis, do you feel like you are in 100% control? For example, when you're doing uh, reverse sort of circles, you know, 
Um, I just can't believe how your brain can figure that kind of stuff out. How relaxed are you when you're flying? Um, fairly. I can... Most of the time, I'm fairly relaxed, and especially this day to day, even more so. Um, like, I can be cold conversations and stuff like that, but more recently, I'd say in the, the last 12 months, I'd say that's becoming less, uh, I guess in some ways, less comfortable, only because after going to a couple of events, the way that I thought, not, not so much the way I thought it should be flying, but the way I was enjoying flying, very precise, 90 degrees, like stops in front of myself, that sort of thing, was not judged as well as what I thought it would be. So they want, they want it to look a little bit, well, not look out of control, but a little bit more crazy, I guess, is what they're wanting. So I've been trying to push myself a little bit more in different orientations and different speeds and not be so, not super, super concerned about where it's stopping in in the precision level of flying, which I'm not sure how that sits with me still even. And I still, I definitely revert back to going that route. But yeah, when I'm definitely flying harder nowadays, I'm a lot more stressed <laughs> than I was going back even two years ago, for sure. Like going back two years ago, or even 18 months, I never would put myself in a situation where I thought I was going to crash. And now that's becoming more and more frequent. <laughs> um, and unfortunately, so the crashes, but, um, yeah, it's day to day. If I just go and fly with all my friends, yeah, it's not stressful at all. But the moment I try and practice or if I'm trying to think of something new or it's interesting you raise that that point about the judges wanting to see more aggression because i'm seeing that in freestyle aerobatics with fixed wing aircraft and uh, the likes of uh, jace the ace Ducia and what he's brought into it where everybody's flying uh, i think aggressive is the is the term and it's it's almost becoming more manic in a kind of way and like you i have can't decide whether I really like it. I appreciate it. I've seen Jace fly live and he's phenomenal. And he, there is a misconception that he's just aggressive all the time, but he has a lot of light and shade in his flight. So he can, he can do the slow graceful stuff right to the, the crazy manic stuff. But yeah, there's a lot of people sort of, you know, thinking is this, is this really great? Um, Cause I'm a big believer of precision makes everything look good, but if you can do precise, fast and aggressive, then that's even better. But um, you know, I think that the last thing that 3D heli flying need to do is get more aggressive than what it was because some of it was, you know, pretty crazy stuff. Yeah, for sure. Now, how does okay, your current heli hanger, right? We, we, <laughs> we always know that uh, we're a crazy bunch, we aero modelers, that we've always got a hanger full of stuff and probably more than we need. You have got a lot of sponsors, and we'll, we'll talk about yeah. some of those sponsors, but let's just talk about some of the, some of the, the models that you've got uh, that you're currently flying. Uh, yep. Yeah, so I've got three. I've got three flying seven hundreds. Um, got two electrics plus another spare airplane. So there's three of those. There's a seven hundred nitro, which unfortunately is broken, but we'll be flying again soon. I had a little mishap. Uh, they're my main ones. That if I had to pick one, that's what I'm picking. One of those. I've got the five fifty size uh, electric as well which is in the same brand. I've got a 380 size, which I guess is more of your like T-Rex 450, I guess. Ease of comparison. Um, yeah, T-Rex 450 is on the size. And then 
now that I've got, I'm actually sitting in my room right now. I've got Telewise. Oh, I've got a little Nano, which is pretty fun to zip around and chase the dogs. And then, yeah, my F3P plane and some cars now getting in the way. But yeah, as far as all my helis, that's mainly what I've got is essentially normally um, three to four seven hundreds of flying at a time. The three electrics typically are all identical. And then the Nitro one is um, much the same, but obviously it's Nitro and generally the same servos and blades and all that sort of stuff. So it's very similar. And they're much the same in the 550 and the, and the little size. It's all the same equipment. It's just in the much smaller versions of much like. Let's just talk about some of your sponsors. Um, who are some of your sponsors now? So my main uh, two, I guess, is uh, XL Power. That's the manufacturer of the helicopter that I currently fly, which is the Spectre. Um, they do great things for me. There's a massive mutual respect there as well. So I don't have any plans to not fly for them. And I hope that our relationship goes for a very long time. Uh, Ego Drift Motors, which is the actual practice motor that's in all of my electric models. Uh, Azul Power, which is the blades themselves. And uh, that goes through, again, my full range of models. Mania X Lipo batteries. And again, through the whole range. Ricardo, my V-Control, and my Flybarless unit. And, and then working very closely and uh, with the distributor for essentially all those products, other than Mercado uh, and Manurex, is uh, Rapid Heli Australia in Melbourne. So they import yeah, the, 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 the XL Power products, the e, sorry, the Azure Blades. I work very closely with them as well. So there's a lot going on. and uh, But it, it's nice that my whole size range is uh, supported by the same product um, manufacturers as well. So people will say that you, you've just got, you know, you're in the dream position where you get a lot of stuff uh, for free or at a discounted price. I don't know what the, what the deal is. Yeah, yeah. The, is, it a, is it a good feeling to know that if you need another heli, you can go and grab one? Uh, it's nice. Even prior to this level of deal, I sort of always had two, at least two 700s anyway, in case of obviously crashing, I just fly the other one. But for as long as I can remember, and I just did it last week, is when I crash one, I just <laughs> I end up just not flying the other one anyway, unless I'm at an event. So it, it is nice knowing, yeah, if, when I'm away and constantly practicing stuff, it's great. You know, that if I have the support there, if I do get stuff wrong, because I, mean, I think anyone that flies 3D or I guess anything competition, if you think you're going to get through, say, a whole season without breaking something, and I think there's a massive reality check needed because it doesn't matter what you're flying. It, anything, it might not be your own undoing. It could be just something failing. You are going to crash at some point. And I think, unfortunately, that's the sport we live in. Um, but yeah, it's, it is a nice feeling. I try not to let it obviously take over and ruin it for me. Like, I don't want to get to the point of just trashing Kelly's for the sake of it. Um, and I don't think I do. But yeah, that, it, it is nice definitely knowing you've got the support there when you need it. Well, I think you work hard for your sponsors because I've noticed that you you do attend a lot of events both here and and overseas. So it's it's a it's a two way street. They they Absolutely. may give you product and you've got to give them some value back by showcasing their products. And we know that you got the piloting skills to do that. But what does your event participation look like, both locally and internationally? So locally, it's definitely more. Um, I mean, I like hanging out with everyone. So. 
Locally, it's all I just fly myself there generally, um, and that will generally consist of just doing demos throughout the day, helping people with the product. Um, certain events I'll take and look after the people that are flying that um, specific model with parts if they need something like um, stuff like that. Uh, obviously, sales depending on which sponsors are there at the time, I'll help around with the shots. Um, I generally like to do each fun fly, especially the next day. I like to do like a tutorial, um, like three D class. Um, which is, I've done the last three events and that's always pretty good fun and people learn a lot from that. I guess I don't try and, especially at the events, try not to jam the brands down people's throats because I think it it should be, be me just flying the product and even the general public flying the product that sells it, you shouldn't need to be told you have to have this. And so at, at Australian events, definitely low key, I'm pretty cruisy. Um, if someone needs help, I'll help them. And, but that obviously changes a lot when I go overseas. So at the competitions, I still help a lot of people, a lot of the pilots, and I do a lot of mechanicing for a lot of the pilots as well, which I enjoy. It's not all about the flying for me because I'm never going to be at that level in the master class where you know, I am flying every day. It is not my job, but at, almost at that point of being my job. So I'm never going to be that at that level. So at events, it's more, the competitions, it's pretty much I just do my own thing and help out and do whatever the best I can. And then when I go to an event where it's mainly a, a demo or a, a, I should say sales targeted or advertising wise event, then yeah, I'm pretty much purely there to just fly and have fun, of course. But yeah, to demo new products, um, keep the other pilots with their helicopters um, flying if they crash or fixing my own, fixing customers if there's a warranty issue, uh, basically just being the, the the point of contact at the event more so than more than anything really to help um, the people flying the products that I'm obviously supported by. So they are pretty chaotic, the international events, and even to some extent, the Australian events can be pretty busy for me, but yeah, I, I try not to do that. Speaking of overseas, what events have you recently been to? You know, what countries have you been visiting to uh, to fly your helis? Yeah, last year was awesome. So last year we went to uh, Thailand in March. And that was for a competition and fun fly. So that was really good. Uh, a bit of a shame that one got pushed uh, due to all the COVID this year. And uh, in June and July, I went to Europe, to the Netherlands and Germany for the Global 3D, which... It's not the FAI World Championships, but essentially it's what they would call it. It's uh, every year, it's um, the best 40 people. Once, if you're approved, you go into the event. It's a 3D event. Uh, and then I came home for about a week and then I went back to America for the biggest, not trade, but yeah, it's like the biggest fun to fly in the world where a lot of new products, I guess, are released as well. And that was in America. So that was that was pretty awesome as well. So, And how do you go traveling with the helis? You got cases for them or do you pull them apart from a suitcase uh yeah so obviously batteries are an issue um depending on what size or where you fly so typically i will especially international i won't take batteries i'll generally get them at the event and luckily uh my sponsors will organize my battery sponsor will organize batteries to be there when i'm when i get there so they're already sold it up. I just have to plug them in. So that's one big drama removed. But the actual helicopter travel itself is, yeah, super easy. I've just got a big golf um, hard shell case made by SKB, um, which you would obviously don't need to golf bag plugs in. But yeah, I get two 700s yeah, in there. 
Um, basically just with the skids and the blades removed and they sort of sit, yeah, top and tail to each other and all my clothes and everything I need to travel for however long I go away and I've never had an issue with that. You obviously get more in there if you pull them apart, but generally I'll take two to the events or... So it's not too bad. It's the batteries are the big concern and um, you just, when you're packing, obviously you've got to think about where things are going and such. Obviously canopies are quite fragile, but generally... Um, I've been, I've been alright through the years of travelling. I've only ever sort of damaged one helicopter, which was probably my own laziness not packing it. But generally, it's pretty good. It's just the batteries, which, which is an issue and is getting worse. Um, and I don't know where that's going to end up in the future, but generally, it's pretty good. Yeah, the uh, it's a lot easier than travelling with um, fixed wing aircraft. At least you can pull them down a bit. I tell you what, travelling with a with right. a racing drone would be great. It'd be just Put in your back pocket. Your almost. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Now, uh, you you talked about uh, crashing being sort of a part of, of heli flying. And uh, fortunately, with helis, you, they're, they're easy to fix. It's not like a broken wooden plane that you know involves a lot more time and whatever. It's obviously unbolt parts, put new parts back on. What does yeah. your flying to fixing ratio look like? Like how often are you, are you crashing a heli? Yeah. Uh... Generally, I would have uh, probably two or three good crashes a year, I would say, which I guess is pretty good. Um, That's not bad. In the big aspect of how many flights I do, it's probably pretty good. It still annoys me, obviously, that um, I can make a silly mistake. And I don't, you know, I guess that's not going to change with, with, with how I'm flying. But yeah, I would say. Yeah, three, like I say, three good crashes. I hit the tail a lot. <laughs> Other people that know me know that my stock is, I've got a lot of stock in tail blades because they don't last very long typically. Yeah. Um, but yeah, big crashes where you're sort of, you know, looking at new side frames and all sorts. Yeah, probably two or three a year, big ones. Generally, at events, not as much, although last year, I think all my crashes were at events, unfortunately, but... Um, yeah, not, not as much as I possibly should, and I guess that could be a downfall that I don't fly hard enough, often enough, which I've been trying to fix over the last 12 or 18 months, but generally not as much um, as probably what I was when I was learning. Do you enjoy putting helis together? Yeah, I'm actually working on it right now, funny enough. Uh, yeah, I, it's not so much all the flying to me. I mean, I like flying, but I would say it's more the, the building and hanging out with everyone is the bit I enjoy the most. Um, but fortunately, with obviously having a lot of models flying very often, there's always one generally that's getting worked on and or I'm building someone for a friend or there's obviously test products. So yeah, they're always fairly often there's always one pulled apart being worked on. And that's yeah, it's one of my favorite things about it. Is it's like a big Meccano set, you know, like as a kid playing in Lego and all that sort of stuff. Like I, I really enjoy that. So it's obviously a little bit more serious with the heli, like if something goes wrong. So you gotta gotta be semi cautious. Um, so I am very careful when I assemble them. I guess that's another part that I enjoy. You've got to make sure it's good because if something, if you know, if something fails, it's crashing. It's not. It might crash. If something comes off, it crashes. So yeah. <laughs> yes. I love yeah. the uh, I love the mechanical nature of helicopters. I love the look of them. I've got a T Rex five fifty, and I've got one of the old T Rex four fifties as well, and I've had some other little nanos and all those kind of things as yeah. well. And I just I don't fly them very often, but I just love the look of them, even if they're just sitting there. 
they're just a, a work of art and, and i really yep. uh, like that mechanical nature compared to a fixed wing plane which is wooden sometimes composite and all that kind of stuff yeah now, um you've been in the scene for for quite a while now and uh we've seen a decline in the numbers of people flying helis. I uh, you know there was a big peak maybe sort of five years ago, I'd say six years ago yeah. Uh, yeah, where the numbers were phenomenal and the scene was really sort of thriving. And I suppose, you know, the drone scene came in post the heli scene, but the way I see the heli scene at the moment is that the people that are involved are the, the most passionate heli flyers out there. Where do you see the heli scene going um, at this point in time? Yeah, I definitely agree with going back a bit where it was super popular. And I think that was at the time when fly ballast was becoming very popular. Um, the helis are getting, I shouldn't say easier, but they are more stable to fly. There was a massive range to what you could fly. So there was a lot of competition. So the parts quite affordable. And I guess you, you know you could go to the club and there'd be a massive variety of models bring that forward with drones and lots of people faded out and went drones for whatever reason it's never and that's fine like it's nothing i have pretty much any interest in whatsoever um there were definitely lots of people there and with that there was obviously some manufacturers that um, felt that decline and changed direction so now there's definitely less uh, option than there was five years ago there's obviously an added cost now, and I guess product is not, technology is not increasing like it was either. So I think some people definitely would feel not stale, but they feel like it's just the same thing over and over again. In the last, I would say even the last 12 to 18 months, there has been an incline, which is awesome to see. There's lots of it. Um, there's starting to be innovation again, newer technologies again. And yeah, like the people that are in it now, the diehard people definitely. And then you've got guys that you would fly five or 10 years ago that are now back into it. You know, like within my time, I stopped flying for a couple of years, a couple of times in this, in this all as well. So um, I've always had something that I've never not had something to fly, but definitely now getting to that point where there's a range again, the technology. So you are getting a, a bigger, broad, broader range of people flying again, which is awesome. So I think in the future, we may, I don't know if it'll ever get back to how it was. Sadly, but I think we'll definitely see um, a bigger range of models of feel more people flying. And that's really all that to me matters. Like if I see more people down the field having flying fun with helis, then I want to go to the field. But when I go to the field and there's one person, it's, you know, it's good. But I'd rather hang out with a bunch of people with a similar interest, you know what I mean? So yeah, that's it's the, definitely growing. That, I, I think um, you, you mentioned something about innovation in the hobby sort of lacking. Yeah. I've noticed that a lot of the, the brands that used to be around maybe even five years ago in the heli scene might not be there. You know, Align used to dominate the market. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You talked about the Thunder Tiger Raptor and that was, yeah, the yep, staple yep, yep. sort of early 2000s, even 90s and that kind of thing. And and then moving into the Align era with the 450 and I think everybody had a 450 because it was sort of affordable yeah, yeah, at the right. time. Um, and then, of course, they got into the bigger helis and then you had the likes of the Synergies come in and the, yep, um, yep. the Protosses and all those kind of things. So... And then I've watched some of those brands sort of fade away, go away. Uh, and there are these new brands that have come in and brought this new enthusiasm. Now, over, say, the yeah, last right. 10 years, you talked about fly coming in. What are the other sort of developments that you've seen uh, in that heli scene over the last 10 years from a te technology perspective? Yeah, so obviously initially it was fly ballast. Uh, a lot of that, a lot of the battery technology, speed controller technology, 
uh, motor technology as well. So like you think the people that were pushing, go back five, 10 years, people that were pushing electric motors back then were Scorpion. Uh, people that were pushing speed controllers at the time as Castle Creations. Yeah, they're still around, but there's a lot of other products that are as good, if not better now. With Flybarless, Mikado were one of the true or original people that I, I had an original one with five wire sensor. They were really old school. I'm sure there's a few people that would remember them. They're, they're the first people to do Flybarless, in my opinion, properly. A lot of stuff caught up. And then now it's sort of gone through this whole uh, like new technology and reinvention where everything's done without a laptop now, with all through the controller. So now, obviously, with Mercado V-Bar, you do it through the radio and the v and the actual dryer on the transmitter. And if you've got like a, a brain or an icon, you can use a jetty or a spectrum radio and it's all integration. So it's all integrated. And now that's gone to speed controller. So now you don't have to plug your speed controller into a program box. You can do all that through the controller. So it's becoming more and more plug and play and more and more, um, it, I shouldn't say like, uh, self-setting up but it's very uh step click yes go stop start it, it's a lot easier than it was you're not you're not playing around with programming cards and laptops which just drives me mental so as far as the model technology it is changing but i guess it's, it's as far as like user friendliness that's probably what more so is changing more than anything um, which is obviously great for everyone like everyone just wants it to be simple including myself so that will be i'd say in the last five years the biggest change um with obviously there's some like, rotor blades have changed a lot in five years but as far as technology that i find the most interesting yeah, is would be yeah, the integration between all these systems and subsystems where you can do everything through either your controller which you're not limited to one brand anymore either so that's probably the biggest change as far as a product i would say yeah I, the other thing i've noticed is um the increasing power that people are putting through yeah, their, sure. their helis that you used to get a you know a 550 size heli running on a 6s pack 5000 milliamp hour pack and yeah. now hardly anybody's doing that you're at 12s and then yeah. you know you're running 14s packs and things like yeah. that um, yeah. is that uh, do you think that's sort of coming uh come in response to more aggressive flying more reliable gear that can handle the power that and i would say a lot of it is also to do with the technology of stuff getting slightly maybe slightly smaller so like um a 12, obviously a 6s pack you know 550 is going to draw a lot of a lot of amps when you can achieve a similar sort of power with a 12s but at the time 12s packs were either heavy or the speed controllers that were able to cope with 12s were heavy so now you've got stuff that is the same size if not smaller than 6s stuff that's all 12s compatible more reliable and yeah you know end of the day now you think t-rex 450 back when they came out you're running them on like a 3s 1800 my current 450 that sort of size helicopter runs on a 6s 2200 so um yeah there's a lot of change through the electrical side of it for sure which i think definitely makes it more reliable on the flip side as well so it's not it doesn't have to mean that just because it's 6 to 12 hours doesn't mean it has to have stupid power you know it can obviously just it's more reliable and lots of stuff stays cooler as well yeah. which you're going to, for me if i was running a 700 size helicopter over a season on a 6s lipo for example I might need two or three and then a season. Like it's not going to last to make the same amount of power. Whereas if 12S, I'd get, I mean, I get 18 months out of a set of packs in 700 now on 12S. So I think probably value for money wise, 12S works out pretty better for most people as well. 
that's a good way of putting it. I haven't heard it put in those terms before. So yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Cause I, I know from my heli days in running that, like you said, the three S packs in the uh, T-Rex 450, you'd pull them out and they yeah, were yeah. smoking hot. And even, yeah, in the, right. even in the 550 running a 6S, they'd come out hot and yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, all my 6S packs are puffed. So I've got to do something about them. That's right. Uh, yeah, that's right. You, you don't have that problem on the higher voltages. So yeah, like my, my 450 size heli on the 6S, nothing gets hot because it's during, I mean, I don't know in amps, but it's definitely during a lot less amps than it would be if it was equivalent power on 3S for sure. So there's a lot less risk there, I guess you could say. Now you've actually uh, dabbled in, you still dabble in fixed wing and uh, I noticed that you've done a bit of um, F3A pattern flying. Yep. How much of that have you been doing lately or, you know, what, what how does that place in your whole uh, time spectrum for the hobby? Yeah, so I think I did F3A or pattern flying at least when I was a kid. Uh, I guess this would be in the shock fire days back then and I think always, I, I did always enjoy it, but I guess I never had any aircraft that was probably as current as it probably needed to be. Um, moving on, it's kind of funny, like the last, at least the last two or three years, I've managed to try everything that I either did as a kid or always wanted to do as a kid. So I had a current F3A model. I did that for a few months and got a bit bored, unfortunately, just, I didn't say bored. I, I think I, I over planned myself at the time I was trying to go practicing for all the events overseas for the helis and that was taking a lot of my time and then going to do F3A and flying it very poorly is my own undoing from not de dedicating the time. So that became very, unenjoyable which is sad but i mean i still think f3a planes are probably the coolest planes they're just coolest looking planes on the planet there i'd love to get another one again now and now that i don't know what's gonna happen in the future with all these events and i'd like to get another one and obviously i dabbled in jets as well which was cool for a bit i know it's only so much that i felt that i could do with the jet without getting bored but yeah i mean stuff like indoor planes always definitely gonna have a soft spot for me like i would I just wish there was an indoor event. I actually built a uh, F3P plane last year. That's 40, I think it's 47 or 48 grand. It's ready to fly 1S, one meter by one meter. That just sits here looking sad for itself because I've only flown it once, unfortunately. Mm. Um, I think anything fixed wing that is odd, then I'd like it. So F3Ps, F indoor pattern, no people have one and it's odd and it's tricky to build and I like it. Same with F3A. They look awesome. They're hard to build. It's hard to fly. So I, 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 I like that side of it. So fixed wing, yeah, it's always, I don't think I'll ever not fly a fixed wing. It's definitely getting harder now with my time devoted to the helis so much, um, which is sad in some ways, but I think I need to find a little bit better balance with all that, but fixed wing and especially gliders and slope soaring is probably my my favorite thing that had I had to pick anything fixing, that's probably what I do predominantly. Yeah. Well, uh, it's in your, it's in your veins or your dad. Now, that's right. How old, that's are right. You, how old are you now? I'm 26 now. You're 26. So how are you finding, um, you know, you've got all the uh, responsibilities that life comes as you get older. <laughs> how are you finding yeah. uh, the time to, to, to fit in, uh, you know, all the flying that you're doing? Yeah, it's definitely tricky. Um, again, as a kid in high school or even, when I was apprentice, yeah, I just wanted to go flying. So, <laughs> so it's all that really crossed my mind. But yeah, like you say, now everything, as you get older, things get more and more difficult. You become a little bit more time poor. So yeah, I definitely 
definitely don't spend as much time flying as I probably sh should or want to, uh, which then obviously makes it very difficult when I do go to the field because I'm not probably flying how I want to fly. But I generally would try and get out. I mean, for an event, especially if I'm going to go overseas or even locally, I'll try and get out a couple of times a week. Uh, last year was sort of every day before the big events. But if I can get out once a fortnight for a good solid day, then I'm pretty happy now. Obviously now with COVID, I had quite a big break, which hasn't been great, but it's a little bit hard not being able to see everyone, which is probably the, the worst bit for me with all this. But yeah, yeah it's, not, it's not so much the flying thing, it's the, it's the hanging out with everyone. So if I've only got one day to go flying for the week, I'd rather plan that time and go flying with all my friends than just by myself. So, which obviously time trying to coordinate everyone that's time poor is quite difficult. So it's definitely not as easy as it used to be as a kid running around <laughs> yeah so it changes it look i can tell you what your future is you know ben i'm a 46 year old uh family man and uh time becomes a, a very tricky thing to manage when you have yeah, a couple of sure. kids and work and all that and so i'd love to be able to get out once a month i reckon is uh, to have a really good session once a month for me is awesome but i always yeah, say good. that it, it, life turns around the kids grow up and then you're back to almost your teenage years again. You've got a bit of time back. And that's why I think that the hobby is dominated by people in that 55 years of age and up sort of bracket because they've got time on their hands. And often they've got a bit of money too because they don't have to pay yeah. school fees. So it will come around. Now, to finish up, uh, this is a question I ask everybody and everybody is waiting for this answer. Now, I want to know so far, what has been your favorite model to fly? And if you like, you can break this into two categories being fixed wing and helis. Good question. Um, look, obviously I love my current models, what I fly a lot, and obviously they're nothing like how they used to be, but probably my favorite helicopter that I ever owned was probably my original Synergy N9, which I had in, geez, I, I think it must've been 20, 2012 or 13. That was my first, I guess, proper 700 or 90 Nitro that wasn't a Raptor, really, that um, made, definitely progressed me a lot in a very, very short period of time. As much as it's flybarred and it's heavy and in today's terms, it's really nothing special. It was probably looking back over the stuff I've flown, other than obviously the current stuff, that's probably my favorite helicopter, definitely. And to be honest, my F3A invitation that I had last year was probably the best flying model I've ever had. Like, yeah, I didn't really get to fly it as much as I probably would want it to, and I probably didn't get the most out of it. But as far as flying and things I've had to own and sit in my house and look at, it was probably that. Well, there you go. Some really good models there. I remember that, that synergy when it came in. Awesome. And, um, yeah, yeah, it was like the heli to have. And the, yeah. the goblins came out and everybody wanted the goblins and then the That's synergies right. came in and um and it was an amazing time an amazing era in the in the heli scene it brings back a lot of good memories seeing people flying and it's it's really good to have you uh on the line hamish and, and really to fly the flag for helis I, I think that you're probably the biggest flag bearer for the uh heli scene in australia so keep up the great work you're an absolute gun now if anybody wants to follow you uh where where can they i know you're on facebook and facebook yeah, what's so the most uh, most active uh, on my actual Facebook uh, page for the helicopters, which is Hamish Scott RC, where it's pretty much where I'll post uh, pretty much everything to do with modeling. I try and keep a little bit separated, I guess, from my private page, but 
you're also going to get the latest content, uh, what events I'm doing, models, what I'm playing around with at the time. So that's probably the best way to, to keep in touch and obviously if anyone has any questions in relation to helicopters or how to get into it, uh, building anything like that, they're more than welcome to, to send a message because I'm sure I'll be able to point you in the right direction in whatever state you're in to get some help as well. So um, more than happy to help people get interest, interested in RC helis because the more people we've got to fly with, the better it is. Excellent. Thanks, Hamish. You're a legend. No worries. Keep up the good work. Thanks, mate. Talking Hellies with Hamish Scott. Thank you very much. Really appreciate you joining me on the Flat Out RC podcast. Don't forget, subscribe. If you've listened to um, the podcast now and you haven't subscribed, click that subscribe button so you get notified straight away when a new podcast is out. Generally, I aim around lunchtime Wednesdays. So whilst I'm eating a sandwich at work, I'm uploading it, unless I forget or I'm not in the office. But I'll get them up on Wednesday. So you'll be the first to uh, get them. So again, apologies for the interference. Weird thing, this interference thing. I need to get a new cable, I think. Anyway, we'll work on that. So thanks once again to Hamish Scott. Now, I want to have a bit of a chat about expanding your RC horizons. Because today, I'm recording this on a, on a Sunday prior to the Wednesday, the launch. So today, I went and sailed a radio control yacht. Uh, my good friend Ido Segev, I know I mentioned him every episode. Ido Segev, if you don't know who he is, Ido Segev was a champion pilot, originally from Israel, came to Australia. He was a test pilot for Flat Out RC, absolute gun, European extreme flying champion, 2011, known around the world as a, a gun aerobatics guy, passed away in an unfortunate mid air collision, uh, flying full size in February here in Australia which is a bit devastating to, to many of us because he was a good good mate. Prior to his death, he actually gave me this RC yacht that he had and uh, I got out and had a sail with a group of guys down here in Melbourne, not far from where I live. And I do like sailing. I sailed when I was younger. I sail now and again on a friend's yacht uh, when he needs me to. So I got out there and gave it a go. Now, I always, always used to joke to, and say to people, I've flown, I've, and if it's RC, I've used it. You know, I'm talking jets, well, yeah, jets, like EDF jets so far, turbines coming, um, you know, prop planes, uh, RC cars, FPV drone, DJI-style drones, helicopters. I've done it. Uh, radio control um, boats, powered boats, had a go at it all. The only thing that was missing was the RC yacht, and I always loved the look of them. And you know what happens. We aero, we, we aero models. We fall in love with the look of something. The next minute, we have to get it. Well, anyway... Ido offered it to me and uh, I went, thank you, and I took it off his hands. And uh, today was the first opportunity to get out there with uh, a friend, uh, Ash, Co Ash uh, Alistair, not Ash Cox. Ash Cox, he built one of my aeroplanes, Alistair Cox. Uh, big L, he, fl he flies planes, an aeromodeler as well. Anyway, he said, we're going down for a sail, you're coming. I went, okay, cool. So I went down and put this boat in the water, it was all ready to go. And it was awesome fun. It's absolutely awesome fun. I really, really didn't know what to expect, but it was good. We had a few races. Actually did all right. Came second and a third in one of the races. Uh, a couple of the races, actually. And uh, it was a lot of fun. And I just there's something about radio control that I've always loved, ever since I was a kid. That, that concept of being able to control something, maybe because I'm a control freak, being able to control something whilst you're not in it, it, it really is baffled. You know, it really captured my attention, really. And so sailing this boat meant that I had to apply my sailing skills 
And it does definitely help. Like you can't go and get an RC yacht without sort of having some basic knowledge. You could, it's just going to take you time. But within a couple of minutes, literally within a minute, I was comfortable sailing this boat around. I had to get used to the, the sensitivity of the controls and things like that. But uh, before you knew it, the guy said, okay, we're having a race. I went, okay, well, let's go. So they start the one minute timer and it announces 30 seconds to go, 20 seconds to go. And it was just good. And I just found that I was really, really relaxed. The wind was all over the place. So that uh, created another challenge. So RC yachts, don't discount them. They are a lot of fun. Expand your horizons. And I love trying different things because everything offers a different experience. I love flying gliders. FPV. FPV is a great experience. It just takes you to a different dimension in the hobby. And I don't know about you, I get bored easily. So I've got to be you know, mixing something up you know, to, to, keep, to stay attentive in the hobby. I can't fly a Piper Cub around in circuits for you know five flying sessions and think that was going to be great. I, I need to be doing aerobatics. I need to try different things. And I always say that I need to have a radio control device for every weather instance. So whether it's a great day, like a great summer's day, that's gliding condition. Light wind, go out there, go for a glide. Uh, I love autumn and springtime for flying my planes. If it's windy though, we have a problem. So what do we do? Well, we can go slope soaring or we can go and sail an RC yacht. If you're uh, land bound, don't, not having access to a runway or anything like that, what do you do? You get an RC car. I've got rock crawlers, I've got racing buggies, uh, I've done some on-road racing. All of this just adds to life. You know, I, I feel sorry for people that don't have a hobby. And we aero modelers, we're very fortunate to have it. And you also get to meet a lot of people, meeting a bunch of new guys today that were a really nice bunch. And looking forward to giving it a crack again. Next time it's too windy to go flying and I've got a few hours spare, I'm gonna duck down and grab my RC yacht and go for a sail. So expand your horizons and one way is to get radio control yacht. Now, I'll tell you what, let me tell you about, there was a guy that I met today who actually runs a shop uh, and I'm just gonna go and find it. His name is Andrew Cook, and Andrew Cook runs a shop down here in Victoria, not far from where I live, and he, apparently, yeah, I think he flies RC as well, radiosailingshop.com, radiosailingshop.com, you'll see a whole bunch of different things. You can get some cheap, uh, cheap, uh, you know, yachts under 200 bucks, and you'll get up and running uh, with a basic yacht. So there you go, no excuses. It's cheaper than some of these large-scale aeroplanes, and you can do it when it's windy. So, RC Yacht Sailing, give it a crack. About to leave, already packing. Come with me, I'm not really asking. We'll get away to a place where we don't know. Well, as I always say, another episode done and dusted. Big thank you to Hamish Scott once again for joining me. I uh, appreciate him spending some time. Apologies for the interference. Uh, I have recorded another interview. We didn't get interference, so things are looking up uh, from this point. So thanks to Hamish and RC Hellies. Again, just talked about expanding your horizons and radio control. Hellies are an awesome thing. They do take a bit of... Uh, bit of work to get used to, to flying them, but they're getting it easier and just jump on a simulator and you'll, you'll have it in no time. But a great challenge for any of you looking for a new challenge in radio control and plenty of stores, uh, especially online stores really at the moment, the supporting the heli scene. And in every state, there's avid heli guys. Hook up with them. You'll learn a lot and enjoy the RC heli scene. So thanks once again. Uh, 
I know it's winter and we can get all depressed, but there's still some beautiful weather out there. I hope you're getting out and having some fun. I've completed a lot of aeroplanes. I've almost got my whole entire hangar flying. I fixed another plane on the weekend. Uh, I've got to put a nose cone on another one from a, from a bit of a stack. Then that one's done and radio set up on another plane and every single aircraft in my hangar is flying. And you know how good that feels. But next time I go for a fly, I'll just grab any plane I want and go and take it to fly. Uh, I'm trying to sell some gear as well. Just, I sold a nitro engine that I don't need anymore and I've got another plane, an ultra stick for sale as well. So hit me up if you're interested, it's on RC Trader. But it may be sold by then, we'll see. Anyway, thanks for joining me once again, Flat Out RC. We'll, uh, we'll uh, be back next week for another episode. Thanks a lot.